If you would uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. We've had a couple sermons now here in the book of Galatians. We looked at verses 1 through 5 and kind of saw the overall theme of the book. And last week looked at verses uh, 6 through 10 and considered that the call to hold firm to the gospel, to remember it, and to to not lose sight of what it is. And this morning we're going to look at verses 11 through 24 of Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. Let me go ahead and read those for us. Galatians 1, beginning in verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, and stayed with him fifteen days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Before we get into our sermon this morning, I have a, a letter from the President of the United States of America that uh, I would like to read. This is a public service announcement for the nation, and the President has asked pastors to read this letter so that you can all be aware of what's going on. Uh, it reads as follows. It says, uh, Good people of America, as of this 27th day of November in the year of our Lord, 2011, the official date for the celebration of Christmas is henceforth moved from December 25th to January 25th. This will allow a greater time gap between Thanksgiving Day and Christmas, giving us ample time to get ready for Christmas without doing an injustice to Thanksgiving. And it will give us all something to look forward to during the cold winter days of January. I know this will be a difficult tradition, transition for us all, but it is for the best. Sincerely, Barack Obama. I don't know why you're laughing. You have, you must have doubts about the origin of that of that letter. Um, I said that its source is presidential, but you are probably thinking that I either made it up, or even worse, that I have fallen prey to one of the most obvious email scams ever created. You're probably looking for some proof, right? Did Barack Obama really <clears throat> give you this letter? Uh, you're saying, can you prove that this message is presidential in its origin and that it's not the invention of your own mind or of someone else's? Uh, you probably want some presidential letterhead, right, with the 
a seal of some kind. Uh, maybe is this going to be on the news sometime today? Are pulpits all across the country making this announcement, and therefore it'll be in the news? Because if this message is for real, it's going to have some bearing on your life, right? You're going to have to call off different days. You have to rearrange your, your Christmas festivities, decide when you're going to take days off work or when your family trips are going to be. So this is important. And I have actually lied to you. It is, it is not from the president, as you all know. <laughs> but as we look at uh, Galatians 1, 11 through 24, one of the main purposes of, of Paul's letter, and even of this specific section, is to establish the fact that the gospel that he was preaching was not something he made up like that letter that I just read, but that it was the one and the only truth. We saw last week that there were some that were coming among the Galatians. You remember this. They were they were coming in and they were preaching a different gospel. And coupled with that was this idea that, that Paul's message, the message that he was preaching, was either something that he had made up or something that this other group of, of apostles had given him that really wasn't the true gospel. It was something that was fabricated. It was it was false. It was It was twisted. It was a figment of his imagination. So Paul begins in this section of Galatians, and he makes something very clear. This is the main point of these verses. It's that the gospel is divine, not human in origin. The gospel is divine, not human in origin. Divine, meaning it is it is from God. Read that main idea. He, he says it very clearly in verses 11 and 12, and this is the main point. He just kind of states it for us. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. So this is, he's stating the negative. He's saying, um, I didn't, it's not according to man. I didn't receive it from man. I wasn't taught it. But in the positive, then he says, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the point is, number one, I didn't make it up. Number two, that no one taught it to me, and they made it up, but rather it's a revelation from God. So the gospel is divine, not human in origin. The message that he received, he is claiming, is a divine revelation from God himself. And Paul is, is zealous to make this clear, that he what he is preaching is from God and not from himself, because if the Galatians, remember, if they reject this message, they're rejecting their only hope of salvation. We've said this before, that Paul is not trying to say, I'm right and they're wrong, but he's trying to say, this message is the only true gospel. It's not something I made up. It is from God himself. And if you reject this, then you are rejecting God. So the message of this passage, again, is that the gospel is divine, not human in origin. And it's important for us today to know that because there are still people that would claim that the Bible, that the message of Christianity is man-made, that it's something that people have made up. It's something that the disciples or that even Paul invented. So this is still being said about Paul, isn't it? Paul has been dead for thousands of years and people are still questioning the message that he has brought. People would say it's like all other religions. These are weak attempts to, by human effort, by human being, to, to somehow create this way back to a God that may or may not exist. Have you, have you heard this before, that Christianity is just something that people have made up. These verses verses in Galatians give us some confidence that that is not true. Paul is claiming it's divine, not human in origin. So this truth also reveals something that we learned in the first study, namely that, that the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of our lives, the 
purpose of all of human history, of all of creation, in fact, is the glory of God, to glorify God. And the fact that God is the author of salvation from the beginning to the end shows us clearly that God alone deserves glory for the truth that we have been rescued from God's wrath and made right with God. So I just want to help. This may seem like an argument that would only be necessary for the Galatians, right? Paul's saying, I didn't make this message up. It's a revelation from God. But it's it's pertinent to us because people still say this about Christianity, that it's something that we have made up or that someone made up. And the other thing is that it helps us to see why God has created the world. He's created the world for his glory and salvation from beginning to end is a work of God and something that glorifies him and not man. We don't worship Paul. We worship God because the message is from him, not from Paul. So let's consider, as we go through this passage, just kind of how Paul makes this argument, what he says. Um, And so first, along with Paul, we want to think about our former way of life. We want to think about our former way of life. And that's going to be in verses 13 and 14. Uh, These verses, starting in uh, chapter 1, verse 13, going through chapter 2, verse 14, are they're historical, they're autobiographical. Paul is kind of telling his story, what happened to him. Paul's talking about himself, about his life, his conversion uh, from being a persecutor of Jesus to being a proclaimer of the gospel. And he talks about his former way of life. And in doing this, Paul reminds us that he was an extremely unlikely candidate for being the apostle to the Galatians that God had chosen. He begins to describe his former way of life, and he says, first of all, that he was hostile to God. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Paul was not simply someone who disagreed with the message of Jesus, about Jesus, that disagreed with the gospel. Rather, he was a man who was adamantly opposed to the gospel, to the point of persecuting his followers. We all know the story well of him standing by while Stephen is stoned. And why was Stephen stoned? Because he was proclaiming the gospel. Verse 13 says, he says, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure. It's immeasurable how I persecuted the church. And then he says, and I tried to destroy it. Paul was trying to wipe out Christianity. That was his goal. We can we can think of, and I know you never want to draw these parallels if you don't have to, but we can think of, of Nazi Germany. What was their goal? It was to wipe out the Jewish people, to rid the earth of the Jewish people. And Paul's zeal was in some ways comparable. He said, I don't want Christians around. I want to He says he tried to destroy it. If you've been in the church for for some time, you've heard that Paul was a murderer of Christians, right? That he persecuted Christians. And we become very familiar with that. And it doesn't really strike us what that means. It's so hard for us in America even just to wrap our minds around someone killing other people because of what they believe, because of their religion. Someone murdering someone else because of their faith. But I I was listening to a pastor preaching on this passage earlier this week, and he said that the modern-day equivalent of Paul might be a a terrorist. That Paul was killing people because of what he believed. He was seeking to wipe out these false beliefs that he did not agree with. He sought to kill those who followed Jesus. And the irony of it was, in doing that, what did he think he was doing? 
He thought he was serving God. He wore it as a badge of honor. He said, I am so zealous for my Jewish faith that I am going as far as to kill those who are opposed to it, to kill Christians. Paul wasn't really ashamed of it, at least beforehand, but he saw it as a sign of his commitment to God. This is Paul. Paul was hostile to God. That's the first thing we see about his former way of life. The second thing we see about his former way of life is that he was self-reliant. Verse 14, he was self-reliant. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Paul's persecution of Christians was just one part of his resume. Uh, he adds on to that that um, he was he was kind of the who's who among Jewish people at that time. Amongst his friends, the people that were his age, his contemporaries is what that means, those that were his age, his countrymen, those that he lived with, he was, he was heads and tails above them. In, in seeking after the Jewish tradition, seeking to, to, to do what he was called to do. He was kind of this rising star in Judaism, right? He was going to be the next big rabbi on the scene. And he knew it. Uh, he was zealous for the, his traditions, for the traditions of the Jewish religion. He was determined to live a life that was pleasing to God, and he sought to keep the law. And in many ways, he succeeded. He was a Pharisee. He talks about this in Philippians as he talks about the things that he was. And he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was born in the right tribe. And I was a persecutor of Christians. I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. But in actuality, he was hostile to God. And he was self-reliant in his religion. He was relying on himself and what he could do. So as we think about him, we can then look at ourselves. And we can actually see that our testimony, our former way of life is the same. That apart from God, we are individuals who are hostile to God, and we are self-reliant in our religion. We read Romans 8. If you, if you turn back a few pages in your Bible to Romans chapter 8, I read the first part of that passage of Scripture that begins, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 5, is I stopped in verse 4, but in verse 5 it says, in Romans chapter 8, it says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Listen to verse 7. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, apart from Christ, we are hostile to God and we are self-reliant. And we are all these unlikely, unworthy candidates for becoming children of God. Uh, we're lost. We're wandering around looking for our way. But ultimately, we're unable to find it. And in our searching for God, we actually do what, Paul's, what Paul did. We end up fighting against him. And it shows us here how... Paul writes in, in Romans 8 how futile that is. He says in verse 7, The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we are naturally hostile to God. And if we're self-reliant, we're trying to keep the law. Romans says we're not even able to do it. 
those that are in the flesh, those who do not have the Spirit of God living in them, cannot please God. So Paul, in his former way of life, and us are in the same place. We're kicking against God. We're fighting against God. And we're seeking to to earn our favor with him by our own good deeds. And Paul tells us, in your flesh, it is impossible. It seems strange then, if we're thinking about the fact that people had come in and said, Paul made this message up. It's just not the kind of message I would make up. That I was hostile to God. Everything that I did was useless. Um, I, w- I was an enemy of God in trying to do everything that I could. I, that doesn't seem like something that people would, would make up. Uh, most religions exalt us, exalt human beings, and say we can do enough good to outweigh our bad. Or we can um, find a way back to God on our own. Christianity, the starting point is, you know, you were an enemy of God. And you were self-reliant and you were completely unable to make him happy with you. You were God's enemy, unable to do anything about it on your own. But that's the message that that God gives us. And it sets the stage for God to be exalted. So remember, the gospel is divine in origin. It's, it's not human. The gospel is, is from God. And we realize that our former manner of life sets the stage for God to be glorified. So Paul then talks in verses 15 and 16, and we'll look at some others as well. He talks about the revelation of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus, which may remind you of the book of Revelation. It's the same word that's used here. But the revelation of Jesus. Look at verses verse um, 15. Actually, let's read the context again, verse 13. Remember who Paul was, his former manner of life. You have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Paul's been talking in the first person up to this point, hasn't he? He's saying, this is what I did. I did this, and, and I did that. And then all of a sudden, in verse 15, he says, but when God showed up, God breaks into the story in a unique way. We see God's work in eternity past. He says, when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace. Paul, Paul was set apart. He was chosen from before the time he was born. God's work of salvation is not based on what Paul had done as a Jewish Christian. It's not based on anything that he did, but it's based on the fact that God shows up and reveals himself to him, that God has chosen him. He was pleased, it says, when God was pleased. God set him apart from his mother's womb and called him through his grace. God was pleased to reveal himself to Paul. The moment of salvation, it says, it says when, but when God, you could even just read this, but when God was pleased to reveal his son in me, this revelation of God, it's that same word from verse 12, I received it through a, a revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 16, to reveal his son in me. Paul surely knew something about the gospel, right? I mean, he was fighting against it, so he had to know something about what the gospel was. 
but it was nonsense to him. It was it was blasphemy. He knew who Jesus was, but it wasn't until Jesus revealed himself to Paul that he truly came to know and understand who Jesus was. This is the, this is our testimony that we know who Jesus is. That people have heard the story about Jesus, but it doesn't make sense. It's all kind of jumbled together. You're telling me that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead. Why did he do all that? I don't understand what you're saying. The message of the gospel is is foolishness until this happens. Until God is pleased to reveal his son. It's as if he pulls back the curtain and says, this is this is the truth. All this jumbled mess of, of, of thoughts and ideas about who Jesus is, they, they suddenly come together and they, they make sense. Andrew and I were listening to a radio program, radio program and they were talking about this story about a modern art installation in Germany. Modern art is is unique. Sometimes you really don't know what it's about, right? It's here's a white canvas and this is supposed to be art, right? Or it's it looks like a, a trash can, but it's art, okay? Here's a great if if that's how you feel about modern art, I'm probably offending someone who who loves modern art, but um, if that's how you think about this story, I'll make you laugh. The, the title of the piece was When It Starts Dripping from the Ceiling. And a cleaning woman <laughs> trying to do her job uh, came in and ended up scrubbing a puddle that was painted on the floor <laughs> off of the floor. She was trying to do her job, but in actuality, this was the modern art piece that was valued at, I think it said over a million dollars. I'm not sure if she kept her job or not. Um, but but it's hard to be hard on her. It's hard hard to blame her you know she walks in and it looks like there's a puddle on the floor and she's the cleaning lady so she cleaned it up modern art like that is it's hard for us to understand we kind of approach it and we don't really i don't get it you know it just it looks odd it doesn't make any sense to us but sometimes you'll walk into there's a plaque next to it and it kind of explains what it looks like what, what it's supposed to be and you know maybe you know 50 50 you'll read that plaque and then you'll step back and you'll say oh I get it now. I understand what this is, but but when you look at it at the face, it just looks like a mess. It doesn't really look like anything to you. This is really art. That's what you're telling me. This is worth a million dollars. The classic thing, but you know, my kid could draw that. The gospel can be like that to us, and it is like that to us until it's made clear. Until there's this revelation that God gives us. There's all this information, all these these facts, but it just looks like foolishness. The world looks at the gospel and they say, all these things that you're saying, they just don't make any sense to me. And the reason is because this hasn't happened. When God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Until God opens our eyes to see the truth, it doesn't look like anything. But when he does, we take a step back and we say, this is, it's breathtaking. It's, it's crystal clear. I know exactly what it means. But it's not something that we get to just by trying hard or thinking really hard about it. It's something that God has to reveal to us. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. God, from eternity past, was working in Paul, and then he revealed himself to Paul in a moment on the road to Damascus, and he blinded him. How ironic that it took blindness for Paul to finally see who Jesus really was.
The miracle of salvation is, is not that we understand it. It's that God has revealed himself to us. And he's awakened our minds. He's awakened our hearts to say, yes, it's true. I believe it. The work of salvation is God's from beginning to end. You remember, part of this is that Paul's trying to make it clear that he didn't make this up, right? That this is something that was given to him by a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the timeline in, in verses 17 through 22 kind of help him establish that. He wants to make it clear that he believes Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Savior of the world, and it's not because someone else told him, and it's not because he made it up. So he starts going through this. You'll see he says, verse 16, to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He says, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. I didn't go to people. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have been the place where where the apostles were. That's kind of the, the seat of, hey, here's where people tell you what the true gospel is. He says, I didn't go there. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia, and returned once more to Damascus. He's been north of Jerusalem this entire time. He's he's not been in Jerusalem. He hasn't met any of the apostles. He says, it couldn't come from the apostles because I never saw the apostles. Verse 18, he says, then three years later, it wasn't until three years later that he finally saw the apostles. He went to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, meaning Peter, and he stayed with him 15 days. Wouldn't that be fun to be a fly on the wall in that meeting? Paul and Peter sitting down in a room talking together about the gospel and about Christianity and about who Jesus was. And I'm sure Paul's asking him questions left and right. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about the time that you spent with him. You know, give me some of these stories. That the, the gospels would not have been written in, in a form that Paul could sit down and read yet. And so he's talking with um, with Peter and asking him all these questions about what was that like. So three years later, he goes to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Peter, and he stays with him 15 days. Then he says, but I didn't see any other of the apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. Then he has this statement, verse 20. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. <laughs> it's like he's putting his hand on the Bible and swearing, which he couldn't do. But maybe you know, he could put his hand on his own letter, but he probably didn't know that it was the Bible. He's, he's saying, what I'm telling you is, is true. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then he gives further information. Then I went away to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. He says, the, the churches around Jerusalem still, if they, if you put me in a lineup with five of the guys and they said, which one's Paul? They'd have no idea who I was. The church never saw me. So he's, he's making it very clear that the message he received, it couldn't have been from the apostles. It couldn't be something that they gave to him because he didn't see them until three years later. And when he was there, the only person he saw was Peter. And he saw James, if you want to count him as an apostle. He wasn't really an apostle. He says, the only apostle I saw was Peter. And then I went back to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, probably doing um, missionary work there. And he says, no one in Jerusalem even knew who I was. He's making his case. He's saying, I didn't receive the message from men. God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, appeared to me and gave me this message. Now, is that the message? Is that your testimony? I think it is. 
Paul is not unique in the fact that Jesus has revealed himself to him. Now, you were not on the road to Damascus and struck with blindness and led, and, and then Ananias comes and, and you know helps you to see. Yeah, that, that is not our testimony. But our testimony is that we were hostile to God, that we were self-reliant. And Jesus, God, by his grace, chose us before the foundations of the world, before we were even born. He set us apart. And then at the right time, he was pleased. And he revealed himself to us. He opened our eyes to see the truth. And if he hadn't done it, we'd still be blind. No, we didn't actually see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father like Paul did. But when the gospel comes into our lives and our eyes are open to see the truth, it's the exact same miracle. Because apart from that work of the Holy Spirit, we are blind and we reject it. It is foolishness to us. So your testimony is the same. Is that you didn't receive this message from them. Yes, people came and they revealed the truth to you. They told you the message of the gospel. Someone came and someone preached it, whether it was from a pulpit like this, someone sitting across the table from you at lunch. Maybe it was a parent who raised you up and taught you the truth of the gospel. Someone mediated it to you, but the only reason that you saw that truth was because God revealed himself to you in the person of Jesus Christ. The work of salvation is divine. It's not human in origin. So the message is mediated by people, yes, but have you truly come to believe in Jesus? Or do you just do you just know the facts? Is it just a jumbled mess, but it hasn't clicked yet to the point that you say, yes, I believe it. This is true. It, it makes sense to me. That's the revelation of God that comes into our lives. It breaks into us and says, God reveals himself to us clearly and it all makes sense. That's a mystery. That's the mystery of the gospel. But it is comforting as we talk to people and we see that, that the gospel, maybe it just doesn't make sense to them. They don't know what we're talking about. But what they need is the revelation of God through the Holy Spirit to make sense of it. And so we preach the gospel faithfully, but we realize that it's not mediated by men. It's not a message that we're going to give, that we're going to convince them of. It's something that, just like with Paul, that there has to be this moment that when when God is pleased to reveal his son. And until that happens, the gospel will be rejected. So we are reliant on God from beginning to end. So this message that, that the gospel is divine, not human in origin, we, we see that in our former manner of life, in Paul's former manner of life, and in our and in ours, it's it's nothing that we would assent to on our own. And then we see that it's the revelation of Jesus that opens the, the eyes of our heart to see this truth and to respond to it. And the next thing we see is the transformation of our purpose. The transformation of our purpose. You may have noticed I've kind of been dancing around the end of, of verse 16 there. Read verses 15 and 16 with me again. It says, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Walk through this with me. It says, verse 15, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb. Does that sound familiar? This is the call of, of Jeremiah, isn't it? 
to be a prophet at the beginning of Jeremiah chapter 1. And it's the same for Isaiah, that God set those prophets apart from their mother's womb to be prophets. I think that verses 15 and 16 are both a statement of the fact that God has chosen Paul and awakened him to see the truth of the gospel, but also that he has chosen to be one who would preach. Read it again. When God who had set me apart, even from my mother's room, that, that, that hearkening back to the prophets and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. Why? So that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Why did God save Paul? Well, because of his own good pleasure and for his glory, but so that he would preach Jesus among the Gentiles. Paul was called to be a proclaimer of the gospel. That's what that so that means. So his purpose went from being someone who was opposed to the gospel to now being one who was a proclaimer of the gospel, who had persecuted Christians. And now he was he was going not only to to the to the Jewish people and telling them to believe in Christ, but now even to the Gentiles and saying, you need to come to faith in Christ. His entire life's mission was totally transformed. He was a Pharisee. He was seeking to earn favor with God by climbing the ladder of Judaism. And now he's called to be a proclaimer of the gospel, even to the Gentiles. His entire mission in life had been transformed. Not only to be a proclaimer of the gospel, but to glorify God. I know that was his purpose beforehand, but now he knows how to do it. And verse 23 is so great. Look at verse 22. He said, again, I was still unknown by sight. Again, they couldn't recognize him to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing. They hadn't seen him, but they heard something. Kept hearing about this guy, Saul, who was now called Paul. And what did they keep hearing? They kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Look at that testimony. He who once persecuted us, I think that's unique, isn't it? That the churches were saying he persecuted us, is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Again, that word again. Paul was not just kind of a lazy persecutor. Paul was seeking to destroy the church. And now, this man who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And what was the result? Verse 24, And they were glorifying God because of me. What an amazing turn of events. Paul's purpose went from persecuting the church to now proclaiming the gospel. His purpose went from being self-reliant and seeking him, himself, seeking to lift himself up, to now glorifying God. The transformation of purpose is what happens to us, too, when God is kind and reveals himself to us. Our purpose is entirely transformed. Why did God save you? I think you could say the same thing as verses 15 and 16. Just nuance it a little bit. When God was pleased to reveal his son in you so that you would preach the gospel. That is your purpose. Your purpose is the same as Paul's. You're not the special apostle to the Gentiles, but you are called to be a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. If God has revealed his son to you, your role now is to proclaim the gospel. And it's also to glorify God. Wouldn't it be great if this was your testimony? People had never seen you, but they heard about how you had been totally transformed by the grace of God. And they were glorifying God because of you. Man, I want that to be my testimony. That whether they see me or not, that people would hear about 
the fact that God has transformed my life and they would then glorify God because of me. This is our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ. Your purpose is not to get all the best Black Friday deals that you can. Your purpose is is not to, to achieve the American dream. Your purpose is not to have kids that like you and a wife that loves you. Your purpose is not to climb the ladder of success in your job. Your purpose in life is to proclaim the gospel and glorify God, which are one and the same. We all have the same purpose, to proclaim the gospel and to glorify God. And they are, in essence, the same purpose. We proclaim what God has done and thereby glorify him. Listen to it the way Peter says it in 1 Peter 2. 9 through 10, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? Why are we that? So that, there again, the purpose, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So why has God made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession? So that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into light. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 says the exact same thing. The love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all. Why? So that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Why did God save you? To proclaim the gospel and to glorify his name. We all want a testimony like Paul's, don't we? We all have one like Paul's. We were all. If you are one who has put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, if you have repented of your sins, if you have seen that Jesus is the only way of salvation, and you said, I have sinned, And you come to God by faith alone. You repent of your sins and you trust in Christ alone for salvation. And he changes you. Then your testimony is the same as Paul's. It's a testimony of your former way of life. That you were hostile to God. You were self-reliant. You were trying to do everything you could to get to God. And in actuality, in trying to do that, you were fighting against him. But God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Awakened the eyes of your heart to see the truth. And when he did that, he did it for a reason. He did it so that you would proclaim that message to everyone that you meet and so that you would glorify him. That's Paul's testimony, and it's our testimony as well. And it's nothing we would ever make up. It's nothing that Paul would ever make up. He makes it clear that he didn't talk to anyone, but also just the nature of the message is one that I would never come up with that on my own. I would never make something like that up to say that I'm completely helpless and therefore God has to save me or else I'm lost forever. And when he does save me, then I live for his glory. I would say I can save myself. And when I save myself, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to live for my own glory. That's my gospel. That's the gospel that we seek apart from God. It's not man-made. The gospel is divine, not human in origin. It is from God. And you believe it only because God in his good pleasure has chosen to reveal himself to you. And now he calls you to proclaim that gospel, to proclaim the good news, and to glorify God. 
pray that we would do that. It's easy for me to stand here and say that that's the goal of our lives and this is what we're to be doing and it's, and then to walk out the door and to not really think about it that much. But I pray that we would wake up in the morning and the first thing that we would think is, you know, my, my purpose today is maybe I have to go to the grocery store or I have to go to work or I have to take care of some kids or I have some errands to run or, you know, I've got to do some yard work today. Or, you know, pretty soon it'll be, i got to go shovel the snow or um, I have to go meet with these individuals. That that would not be the purpose of our day. But that the purpose of our day would be, we would step back and we'd say, I remember who I was. And God revealed himself to me. And therefore now my purpose in life is to proclaim the gospel and to glorify God in whatever I do. It's simple. That's all you have to do with your life. But it's only something that we can do if God empowers us and enables us to do it. And as we continue to go through the book of Galatians, we'll see in Galatians 5 and 6 that it's the work of the Spirit. It's something that we walk by faith to do. It's something that God must do and work in us. And yet we are called to be faithful to do this. So let's pray together. Lord God, we confess and we believe this morning that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not something that Paul made up. It's not something that Peter made up. It's not something that that any person has made up. But it is from you. It's a message that you have revealed yourself to us. It is divine, not human in origin. And we thank you for that. We thank you that when we were hostile to you, when we were running from you, when we were doing everything we could to avoid you, when we were trying to build our kingdom on our own, trying to make you happy with with us on our own, that you saw fit, Lord, in your good pleasure. You showed up. You revealed yourself to us. Not because of anything in us, but because of your good pleasure. And so that we would live for your glory and proclaim your gospel. And so I pray, God, that because of what you've done, that we we would look back and we would remember who we were, we would remember what Jesus has done, and that we would then live in a way that honors you, that glorifies you, that the gospel would always be on our lips, that we would be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world so that the nations would come to know you as Savior. Lord, make that the message of our church. This church would not be about us. It wouldn't be about me. It wouldn't be about the name of Grace Fellowship Church, but it would be about the name of God being lifted up and glorified in this community amongst our friends and our families, our neighbors, and all those that we come in contact with. Well, we cannot do this on our own. So we ask for your help. Thank you for your word this morning, for the reminder that, that we're just like Paul. And that you have made us your children by your grace. We thank you for this, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.